Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It is good to see you all. Um, if you're new, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks to Pastor Steve for praying. Uh, I gotta say that pastoral prayer is always one of my favorite parts of our worship gatherings. Um, it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of First Samuel. First Samuel, chapter 17. We're in a series through First Samuel. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you. And uh, you'll find 1 Samuel on page 239, page 239 of the church Bibles. So we'll be uh, reading this whole chapter. It's going to take a bit more, uh, a bit longer than we normally give to the reading of God's Word, but I wanted to read the whole chapter, and uh, we'll break it apart. And uh, if, you're, if you're sort of new to the Bible, the chapter numbers are the big numbers, and the verse numbers are the little numbers. 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is one of the most well-known stories in the whole Bible. And I've got to be honest with you, I have been looking forward to this sermon since we started 1 Samuel. This is the David and Goliath story. 1 Samuel 17, let's read the setting first. Uh, so that would be verse 1 to 11, and then I'll pray and we'll get to work. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes-Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was about 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray. Lord, would you come? I do not have the words of eternal life. 
you have the words of eternal life. What I can say is of no use or help or benefit to your people, but your word is what they need to hear. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us ears to hear your word. Soften our hearts to receive your word. May it take root in us and bear fruit through us that Jesus would be magnified in all that we say, do, think, and live. For Jesus' sake, amen. Everything in this chapter is classic. The setting is classic. Two hills or the valley in between. The circumstances are classic. There's a giant and an underdog. The stakes are classic. It's a winner takes all. The symbolism is classic. And there are parallels everywhere in this chapter. It's a great story, perfectly told. And so we'll just jump right in. Verse 1 to 11 is the setting. God's people, Israel, are living in the land that God had promised to them, and parts of that land have still been occupied by their enemies. Israel's king, a man named Saul, is a tall and handsome man whom they had asked for. You remember, they didn't have a king. God was their king, and Israel demanded a king of their own. They wanted a king like the nation's. But Saul had disobeyed the Lord, and he had been rejected as king of Israel, even though he still sat on the throne of Israel. And the Lord secretly anointed another man to take Saul's place, a young shepherd from Bethlehem by the name of David. The Philistines were the longtime enemies of God's people, and they gathered in battle against Israel. So both armies stood on a hill with a valley in between. This valley is described for us in the first few verses. It's still there to this day. You can go visit this very valley in the wintertime. The winter rains flood the valley and a small river runs between these two hills. It is the perfect place to stage a Bronze Age battle. But to avoid all-out battle, the Philistines send their man into the valley, and he cries out to those on the other hill. His name is Goliath. He's called a champion. The word means a man between the two, someone to go between, to, to fight on their behalf. We're told that Goliath is huge. And the author goes to very great lengths to show just how intimidating of a, a figure this man is. He stands six cubits in a span, something like nine foot nine inches or so. And he is covered in armor, head to toe. In the ESV, it's a coat of mail, literally a coat of scales is all around this giant of a man. His scale armor alone weighs 125 pounds. He is a mammoth sheathed in metal scales. We're told that Goliath carries a javelin and a spear and a sword. We're, we're told that it, it took an entire soldier just to carry his shield. And all of this, of course, is meant to be a psychological weapon to paralyze the opposing army. And it worked. Israel is crippled. 
If you remember back to chapter 13, God's people didn't fight with proper weapons. They fought with tools. All of the blacksmiths in those days belonged to the Philistines. And the only people in the army that had actual weapons were Saul, the king, and Jonathan, his son. So this is an impossible situation. There is no man in Israel who could fight this giant. And we hear this giant boasting. We hear this giant giving threats, verse 8 to 10. Why did you even show up? He says. I'm a Philistine. (laughs) You're servants of Saul, aren't you? Choose a man for yourselves and let him fight me. And if he wins, then we'll become your slaves. But if I win, then you will become our slaves. And then the author breaks the dialogue in order to make the next thing that Goliath says poignant. He says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. You see what's happening, right? Give me a man. Choose a man for yourselves. We've heard that before, haven't we? Who is the people's choice? Well, back in chapter 8, the people answered who their choice was. They demanded, we want a king to rule over us, that we can be like the nations and that our king may judge us. And listen, that he may go out and fight our battles. So who, who is the obvious choice? to come from God's people to fight this opposing giant. Well, of course, it's Saul, their king, their tall and handsome king. But what do we read in verse 11? Saul and all Israel were dismayed and greatly afraid. What good is this king? He sits on the throne, he takes taxes, he takes men. But when it comes time to fight, he's just as scared as everyone else. Well, like all the great stories that have been told, we leave the field of battle and the next scene opens on a small, insignificant nobody who will then eventually become the hero and deliverer of this story. So let's pick up reading in verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul into the battle. And the names of his three sons who went out to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed David, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they 
And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way as the people answered him again as before. So we are introduced to David. This is his foray into public life. We met him last week, but this was a private meeting. This is public. He's the youngest of eight boys, and the keeper of his father's sheep. His oldest three brothers followed Saul into battle, and David is sent by his father Jesse to give supplies and food to his brothers and to see how they're doing. And David is obedient. He's up early in the morning, and he goes, and it just so happens as he gets there, he hears the war cry from these armies. And he hears the threats of their champion, Goliath. Verse 16 says that they had been in this stalemate for 40 days. So it happened just as it happened for 40 days. Goliath would get up and he would do his threats and no one would come forth. Only it's different this time. This time, David heard it's interesting that as soon as we read David heard him in verse 23, the name Goliath drops out of the story. He's never named again. Instead, for the rest of the story, he's just called the Philistine. The fact that this giant Goliath had been threatening Israel for 40 days is no throwaway detail. 
The original readers of this book would no doubt have caught the number 40 and the connection to giants. You know your Bible. The last time Israel encountered giants in the land, what happened? You remember Moses delivered them out of Egypt and into the land of promise. And as they were about to go into the land of promise, they reconnoitered the land. They sent out 12 spies to see the land. And they came back with a report uh, that it's filled. This place is crazy productive. But there's a problem. There are giants in the land. And 10 of those men came back and said, we cannot take these giants. But two came back and said, the Lord is with us. We can take these giants. Do you remember the two who said they could do it? Joshua and Caleb. Well, you remember the story. They turned away from the land of promise and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Well, here we have another giant. And in verse 24, it says, in case we've forgotten, they are paralyzed by fear. Verse 25, have you seen this man? There's that word see again. There's God's people walking by sight again. And the army tries to embolden themselves by reminding themselves of the king's promise that the man who defeats Goliath will be rewarded. He will, have, he will be crazy rich. He will marry into the king's family. He, he, he and his household will become tax exempt for the rest of their life. It's a pretty sweet deal if you survive. Notice David's perspective in verse 26. He's like, wait, what? What shall be done for the one who kills this Philistine? Well, then why hasn't anyone fought this Philistine? That's a sweet deal. David's approach to this situation is very different than everyone else's. He understands the presence of this Philistine is an attempt to drag God's glory through the mud. Goliath is a reproach. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the ranks of the armies of the living God? Who does he think he is? Well, Eliab... David's oldest brother overhears this from his kid brother, and he steps in, verse 28. You remember Reliab? He was the oldest. From chapter, seven, from chapter 16, you remember Eliab. He was the tall and handsome one that Samuel certainly thought, now this is the king of Israel. Well, it turned out that he wasn't the future king of Israel. I wonder whether or not Eliab might have been holding a little bit of a grudge against his kid brother, maybe a Joseph and his older brothers sort of situation going on there. You see how he rebukes him. David, why are you here? Go home. Take care of those little sheep. Besides, you don't even know what you're talking about. I know the evil intent of your heart is presumptuous, you little punk. You just wanted to see the battle. He rebukes him. Well, David could have mixed words with his older brother, but... He didn't. He could have defended himself, but he didn't. Instead, he just, if I said something wrong, tell me what I said. David turned away from his brothers to another and said the same. Why isn't anyone fighting this Philistine? Eventually, word gets to King Saul. And Saul sends for David. Let's pick up reading verse 32. Verse 32. 
And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And this man has been a a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he rose against me. I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will should be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. So David speaks first in this meeting with Saul, a teenage boy encouraging the king of Israel. Don't be afraid. I'll fight him. Now, what did Saul say? He was just a kid. David had already faced opposition from his own brother. And now he's facing opposition from the king. He was just a kid. Ironically, it's the very same thing that Goliath will say to him in a few minutes. He's just a kid. David's response to Saul is my favorite part of this chapter. Facing down a new threat, David recalls the past faithfulness of his God. I used to keep sheep for my father. A couple of times, a a lion or a bear would rise up and take one of the lambs away, and I would chase it down. I would grab it by its stupid face and kill it. Then I'd save the lamb. Well, this situation is just like that. Goliath is nothing but a mangy bear preying on God's people. Besides, I don't know if you heard, but he's defying the living God. And again, the author breaks the dialogue in uh, in two in order to drive home a point. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul says, go. The Lord be with you. Which is an ironic thing if you remember from the previous chapter, don't you? Because just in the previous chapter, we learned that it was the Spirit of the Lord that left Saul and the Spirit of the Lord landed on David. Before he goes, Saul puts young David into his own scale armor, same phrase as Goliath's armor, same type of armor. But David couldn't walk around to them. It's strange that he uses this word tested. I haven't tested them. Sort of like he's saying, like, the Lord has enabled me to get rid of 
bears and lions with no armor. Why do I need an armor now? I've not ever tested this. I've never tested armor. You know what I have tested? The Lord. And I've never found him faithless. And so David removes his armor. Verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds and to the beasts, that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to, date to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone, stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the author is careful to describe for us the weapons of young David. A staff and five smooth stones from the brook, probably about the size of a tennis ball. He had a shepherd's pouch and a sling. All of this reflective of how David viewed this situation. He is protecting God's sheep from this blasphemous giant who's covered in scales. And upon seeing young David with his staff and sling, the Philistine is offended. This is all you've got? This is your champion? Verse 42, he looked and he saw. There's that word again. And he disdained him. Am I a dog? Are you going to beat me with a stick? I'm just a kid. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Young man, I do not think you understand what you've got yourself into. I will fight with you. And I will give your dead carcass to the birds and the beasts. And young David 
with both of his feet firmly planted on the ground. He's staring into the eyes of this giant and verse 45 says, no, you have no idea who you're fighting. Not me. Your sword and your spear and your javelin, they won't help you here. You have defied the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, and he will deliver you into my hand. And just so you know what's going to happen, I'm going to cut off your head, and I'm going to send your armies running, and I'm going to give their bodies to the birds and to the beasts. And here's the reason that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Now this battle that David speaks of, it lasts two verses. All this buildup for two verses. Peter Jackson will be appalled Goliath takes a step, David runs, slings his stone, the stone sinks into the forehead of the giant, the giant falls on his face, battles over. How long do you think that took? Like a minute, two? It's like when Tyson defeated Spinks in like 90 seconds, there's a huge buildup, and then Nothing. I remember watching Conor McGregor fight Jose Aldo. It took 13 seconds. There's this huge buildup. 13 seconds, it's over. It's a huge letdown. But understand that this battle is not about David and Goliath. This battle is the Lord's. This is about the glory of the Lord being drugged through the mud and God responding. Goliath is nothing. It's, he's like one of those stupid fat flies that come around this time of year that they've been banging their head against the glass so many times they're dizzy and they come and they, just, they, can't, they can't land, they can't fly hardly, they land next to you, just flick them away. That's Goliath through the Lord. His nine foot nine inches and armor, scale armor, it doesn't even, it doesn't even register on God's finger when he flicks him away. And notice... It's not without reason that Goliath falls face down. Do you remember what happened to the Philistine god Dagon back in chapter 5 when the Ark of the Covenant was in their little holy place? Poor Dagon, their holy god, fell face down to the ground. And guess whose head came off then as well? So David runs over to this giant and he uses Goliath's own sword to destroy him once and for all. The Philistines see that their champion is dead, their go-between is dead, and they run. Let's finish reading the chapter. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son this boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. What a picture. 
And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. David's victory over the giant became Israel's victory over the Philistines. Emboldened by David's slaying of the giant, the armies rose and pursued the Philistines all the way back to Philistia. And when they returned, they plundered the enemy's camp. Verse 54 says that David took the head of the Goliath and brought it back to Jerusalem. I really like that. Because when you look at the the chronology of Israel in this time, Jerusalem is not in the possession of Israel yet. It's not their capital yet. In fact, you learn when you study this passage and these two books that Jerusalem still belongs to the Canaanites, the enemies of God's people. Now, the commentators are all over the place as to why David would take the head of this giant, the head of Goliath, and send it to Jerusalem. They didn't really have a reason. I think it's rather clear. It's a message. It's, It's like, you're next. This is what happens to those who defy the armies of the living God. This is what happens to those who trust and boast in their own strength. King Saul inquires about David's family, not probably because he's forgotten who David was, but remember he made the promise that whoever defeats the giant would be given tax exemption for the rest of their life, and he's gonna, he just knows where to send the check. That's the story of David and Goliath. It's no wonder that this story has captured our imagination for so long. We love underdog stories. We can't get enough of underdog stories. Frodo Baggins and the evil Sauron. Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. William Wallace and the King of England. Rocky and Apollo Creed. Or the best of all, Daniel LaRusso and Cobra Kai. Not to mention the American militia and the Redcoats. This is in our bones, the David and Goliath story. Why do we love this story so much? Because it's our story. David and Goliath is our story. Not just as Americans, but as humans. And maybe not in the way we think. One of the most important principles of understanding the Bible is to realize that it is one book cover to cover. It is a divinely inspired collection of events that tell one great big story. And that story is about one person, God. Specifically, God revealing His glory in the salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ. Everything is about that one thing, God's revelation of His glory in the salvation of His people from His judgment through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. It's written on every page, and it is the story of our lives. It is the story of everything. That's what Jesus taught us, isn't it? John 5, 39, everything that was written was written about me. This is the main point of the Bible. So when we read a story like David and Goliath, we need to be asking the question, how does this tell me about the character and nature of God? How is God revealing 
the glory, His glory in the salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ. Well, a chapter like 1 Samuel 17 makes it rather easy if you know what you're looking for. Like, how about the start? God's people arrayed in battle against an evil and invading force. They send out their champion who's covered in scale armor like a serpent or a dragon. And he's blaspheming God, dragging the glory of God through the mud, as it were, spitting threats, promising that if I defeat you, you will serve me. And then there's no one who can defeat this evil giant. It's impossible. He's, impo- he's impossible to beat. He's supernaturally strong, nine foot, nine inches, covered in impenetrable armor. And here we are, like Israel, fighting with garden tools. Even the best of us is no match for this enemy. And then this story narrows on a young man born in Bethlehem, the anointed one, the true king of Israel. And he's been sent by his father to his brothers. And he hears this evil giant blaspheming at the end of 40 days. And he boldly speaks the truth. And his own brothers rejected him. He goes to the king and he tells the king, do not be afraid. I'll fight this giant. I am a shepherd. I will rescue God's sheep from the mouth of this lion. I will destroy this enemy and I will show all the earth the glory of the Lord in Israel. And with everyone else paralyzed by fear, doing nothing to this blasphemer in the land, the anointed one stands forth from the people and defeats the giant with his own sword. And his victory is imputed, credited to those who are paralyzed in fear. David and Goliath is our story, but not because we are David, but because Jesus is David. We were the ones unable to defeat the giants, and Jesus stood forth and did it for us. Jesus was sent by his father, rejected by his own brother, stood alone in this battle against sin and death. And the impossible weight of sin and death fell down on Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And the power of Satan, the power of death, was turned against him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, through death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus lobbed off the serpent's head just like young David. And just like young David holds the head of Goliath, the Lord Jesus disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Furthermore, Jesus' victory over sin and death is imputed to those who have faith in Him. His victory becomes our victory. And like Israel ran into the battle behind David, set free finally from their fear, we run into battle following Jesus against the forces of darkness in our land and in our lives. All of this so that the whole world may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Anyone know what the name Jesus means? It's transliterated from the Hebrew Yeshua. It means the Lord saves. That's the story fulfilled 
But this story goes on. This story is walked out in your life every day. If you're not a Christian, this is your story. You picked the perfect day to come to church. For here you get to learn there's a giant in your life, and it's probably not the giant you think it is. Goliath said something right. He said, if I defeat you, then you'll be my slave. That's exactly right. And that's exactly what's happened in your life, dear sinner. You have given yourself to sin, and sin has conquered you. And the Bible says you're a slave. And you will never enter the service of this great warrior unless a greater warrior comes forth. And that greater warrior is named Jesus Christ. And he has already come forth on your behalf. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ. And the victory that he won against sin and death at Calvary in his resurrection will be given to you. And the power of sin will be broken over your life and you will be given eternal life. Tell someone about it. Trust in Jesus Christ and tell someone here. We would love to help you get started in this new life following Jesus. Well, many of you, most of you are already Christians. Well, this story is your story too. There are Goliaths all around your life. And they're just as blasphemous and just as guilty of dragging the glory of the Lord through the mud. But the victory over those giants has already been won on resurrection morning. Jesus' victory is yours. And you are free from the fear that has paralyzed you. You are free to run into the battlefield of your life and to shout with joy like the men of Israel did and to fight for this king, not armed with swords and spears. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. No, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Cornerstone, run boldly onto the battlefield of your life. Fight for the honor of God. Chase off the sin invaders in your heart and bring the name of God into repute in all that you say and all that you do. The victory over sin has already been won, which means the power of sin over your life is gone, defeated. It has no more teeth. The serpent's head has already been crushed. And so the next time you're tempted towards sin, turn to Jesus. Follow that great man into battle against temptation. Speak the truth to that lie. The next time you're tempted to gossip by desire to be an insider, follow the victorious Christ and overcome that temptation. You're already an insider in the most inside you could possibly be. The next time you're tempted to lie in order to preserve yourself or reputation, follow that victorious Christ and come clean about who you are because you're safe in him. The next time you're tempted to defend yourself and to fight for yourself, follow the victorious Christ and turn the other cheek because you're safe in him. The next time you feel the urge to tell the story about you being the hero in your life and to boast in yourself, follow that victorious Christ and boast in him and boast in your weakness. The next time that you're tempted to give up on someone, to wash your hands of them, follow the victorious Christ and and remember that he never gave up on you. 
And in a, in a day that we live in now, in an anxious age, the next time that you and I are tempted towards anxiety, toward worry, follow that victorious Christ. And remember, the battle has already been won. The end has already been written. The enemy is already on the run. And like the David and Goliath story, follow the victory of Jesus into the battle against sin and death in your life. He set you free. There's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be paralyzed by that fear. Spend your life rejoicing in God, serving your church, loving the unlovely, and with your, with your life announce Jesus is king. Death is defeated, and all the earth will know there is a God in Israel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, our great champion, the one who fought the real giant in our life and came out victorious. Lord, thank you for the empty grave, proof to the universe that God's people have been saved, set free, and are bound for glory. Thank you that you have done all of this for hell-deserving sinners like us. Lord, we confess that we have not lived like this is true. Rather, we've been prone to despondency, bickering. We've been like Israel, paralyzed by fear. We've been like Goliath, boasting in our own strength, cursing the other side by our gods. Will you forgive us? Will you grant to us lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, lives that bear fruit in every good work? And will you enable us to see the beauty of Jesus and to walk in His victory over sin and death? And may we, for your glory, spend our lives loving Jesus, serving the church, caring for the needy. And may we have the patience of Jesus, the boldness of Jesus, and the humility that befits our station and great confidence in our soon coming King. We pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' praise. Amen. Your assurance of pardon today comes from 1 John chapter 2, which is true of all who trust in Him. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, our go-between. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins.